Well, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling In the Face of Christ. Those words come out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, and it reads this way. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And look at those next five words, in the face of Christ. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk this morning. But I'm going to say there's probably a very strong probability that not a single person in here has probably ever seen the actual face of Christ. So then, what does he mean when he says, in the face of Christ? Friends, let me tell you something. The face of Christ is the presence of Christ. What I want you to see through the message this morning is this. It is in the face of Christ or in the presence of Christ that we discover a glory that keeps us from falling. In light of all this glory, Jesus presents us as faultless before our Father and he does it with exceeding joy. In other words, he does it with surpassing joy. He doesn't just go, ah, I'm going to take you to the Father. Oh, I'm just going to let you in. No. He says, Father, with such joy, he says, Daddy, I caused my light to shine in that dark vessel, Daddy. This one belongs to us. That is exceeding joy, surpassing joy. It gets me very excited. How does he do this? We call it the great exchange. He takes all of our darkness and he gives us all of his light. That's a great exchange. That's a good deal. I don't care how you slice it. That's a good deal. Amen. We see this truth in Jude chapter 1 verse 24. The Bible says, now unto him, now who's that him? That's Christ. Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. If there was ever a scripture for us to take and, I mean, literally meditate on for a while, I mean, chew on this one for a few weeks if you want to. Chew on this one for a few months. Let's just read it again. Now unto him that is able... He's not just willing, he's able. He is able to keep you and me from falling and to present you faultless. It's one thing to keep somebody from falling. Now we're talking in the spiritual realm here now. Keep them from falling. I think we're pretty high maintenance, to be honest with you. And if his job was always just to keep us from falling, that would be enough work all by itself. But he says, I'm going to surpass that. I'm not only going to keep you from falling, I'm going to present you to my daddy as faultless. Oh, meditate on that scripture for a while. Take that one home. Listen, it won't be hard to find. Just find the book of Jude. It only has one chapter. Look for verse 24. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, there are three words in that one little scripture that I want to draw your attention to. They are the words keep and falling and faultless. When we think about the word keep, we use it in the English vernacular in a way that it falls really, really short of the magnitude that Jude was talking about when he said he is able to keep you. You see, friends, let me tell you something. A family member can go on vacation and they can say, will you keep my dog? I suddenly become the keeper of their dog. What is my job? It's like a caretaker. It's like a custodian for them. I want you to know something. Jesus is more than just a caretaker. He's more than just a custodian. And when you look underneath that word keep, you'll find it has a much richer meaning. I bet when Jude wrote that, I bet he was shouting at the top of his lungs. Sometimes when we translate from the original Greek or the original Hebrew and we translate it into English, they don't do the best job for it. They don't really do it service because I believe sometimes the translators look at that and they go, wow, that, that can't possibly mean that. That's too good to be true. No, 
I want to tell you something. When you look back in the original Greek at that word keep, it is really pretty powerful. You see, if I keep your dog, I have no guarantee that your dog won't get off the leash and run away when you're gone. I have no guarantee of that. <laughs> I have no guarantee that your dog won't die. I'm sure there's been people that went on vacation, left their dog, their cat, their bird with somebody, and it was just their time. And while they were gone, they came home and said, I'm sorry your cat or dog or bird died while you were gone. I'm sure that happens. There's no guarantee that that dog won't have a bad day and turn on somebody and bite somebody. That dog may do something that would disqualify him from ever coming to my house again. I'll tell you what, if I watch somebody's dog and they nip at one of my grandkids or something like that, I want to tell you something, me and that dog are going to go at it. I want to tell you something, I would be very reluctant to watch that dog again because my grandchildren are so much more important. Are you with me? So when we think about this for a second, that the Bible says that He is able to keep us. He's doing more than just watching over us. I hear this all the time, well, God's just watching over me. Oh, no, 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 He's doing much more than that. He's keeping you, believe me. And we sang it in one of our songs this morning, Keeper of my soul, the Bible said. And when I saw that, I'm like, yes, that's right. You are the keeper of our soul. But it's more than just a caretaker of my soul. Here's what it means. The word keep comes from the Greek word phulasso. Phulasso. It literally means to isolate or to preserve. When it says that Jesus keeps us from falling, it literally is saying he takes us and he puts us into an isolated environment. An environment that you are preserved. The way he brought you in is the way you stay pure and holy. We sang about that too. My righteousness, my holiness. Where'd we get that righteousness? Where'd we get that holiness at? We got it from him. It's his righteousness. It's his holiness. And that state that he brings you in with is the state that he puts you in this isolation. Behind that Greek word keep is the word isolation and preservation. It's a place where we cannot spoil we cannot fade. We cannot perish. He is the keeper of us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now this one, what he keeps us from is falling. Now when we think of the word falling, we think typically you walk up and down stairs, occasionally you fall. There's not a person in this room that hasn't taken a fall somewhere in their life. You've been walking upstairs, downstairs. Sometimes we're just walking across the living room. I don't know what it is. It's just weird. You never expect to fall and all of a sudden, boom, you're down on the floor. You slip on ice and fall. But this is not what it's talking about. It's not talking about just in the physical realm. This word falling here comes from the Greek word aptistos. It literally means without sin. Now, I wish I could take credit for making this up. All I do is look in the concordance and go, wow, that, that word intrigues me. What do you mean you keep us from falling? I know you're not just talking about in the natural Jesus, so what are you talking about here? He keeps us without sin. That's what you find behind this Greek word, aptistos, is he keeps us without sin. Oh, how glorious the news that is. This word, aptistos, is actually the Greek word for falling, and it begins with that letter alpha. The very first letter of aptistos is alpha. Does this sound a little bit familiar? What did Jesus say? He said, I am the alpha and the omega. So he was saying that, listen, your ability to not fall in the spiritual realm begins with me. I'm going to step into my right position here. I'm going to put you in an isolated environment. I'm going to seal you into the day of redemption. I'm going to put you in a place where you're preserved. And he says, it's going to begin with me. And then we have this second part of the word called patio. Patio, very interesting root word for aptistos is patio. And what it literally means is to fall into misery or become wretched. Now, in the context, he says that's what he keeps us from. He keeps us from falling into misery. He keeps us from falling into a state of wretchedness. Jesus is the one that keeps us from sinning. Jesus is the one that keeps us from stumbling. And Jesus is the one that keeps us from falling. What does Jesus keep us from falling from? From grace. 
It's the grace that saved us. That is what he keeps us from falling from. How does he do that? Because light always triumphs over darkness. Light always wins. And Jesus is light. He has called us out of void. He has called us out of emptiness. We are placed in the light that cannot be extinguished. We have a wick that never burns down. We have an oil that never runs dry. This light gives us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And when I say this light gives us the knowledge of the glory of God, that word knowledge is not just information. It literally means discovery. Oh, I love that. That his light gives us the light of the discovery of the glory of God. We sang about his glory this morning too. We discover Christ in the light of his glory in the face of Christ or in the presence of Christ. We have seen that Jesus keeps us. He has placed us into his body and he has sealed us until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. We are placed in an environment that isolates us from our former sinful nature and he eternally preserves us by the radiance of his glory. Oh, thank you, Jesus. In the face of Christ, he keeps us from falling from grace and back into an empty way of life. Or another way to say it, he keeps us from ever becoming that wretched man that you were and that I was at one time. We were all in a wretched state. So he keeps us. That means he isolates us. He preserves us from falling. He makes us immune from sin in our spirit. I love that. He literally makes us immune. We have this immunity. Exempt. When you look it up in the Greek, it says you're exempt. Now, where are we talking about? We are talking about in our spirit, man. We never advocate, go out, sin up to your eyeballs, go out, sin. It makes no difference. We never say that here at this church, and we never will. But I'm telling you, in your spirit man, which is the man that really counts, he has made you exempt from sin in that spirit realm. That is so awesome. And then, are you kidding me? He drops this bomb of a word, faultless. I mean, when I think about the word faultless, the first thing that comes to my mind is that's got to be reserved just for God. We have a tendency to find fault with almost everything, don't we? I mean, it's not like we go looking for it. But I mean, if you buy a brand new car, you think it's just perfect. You just own it long enough, okay? You just own it long enough. I guarantee you're going to find fault with it because there's going to come a day it's going to let you down or something's going to change out. The newness is going to wear off. The new smell is going to be gone. Your gadgets are not going to impress you anymore. But this word faultless, when I think about that, when would I ever use that word? When's the last time you used that word? When have you been talking to somebody and said faultless? We sing that once in a while when we sing that song, Cornerstone. We say, faultless stand before his throne. I think, man, God, that word's reserved for you because there is no fault in you. There is no darkness in you. You are pure light. That word is just for you. But he says, guess what? It's for you. I'm like, really? Are you ever around anybody and they pay you such a compliment? It just kind of almost makes you feel awkward. They just really build you up. You look at me and you start scratching your head and you're going, are you talking about me? Because you know what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to run through all of our, our mind, all of our faults. Because every time we go to the mirror, we see a new wrinkle. Oh, there's a fault. We go to the mirror and we see a new spot. There's a fault. We're so critical of ourselves. But God says, when I look at you, he says, I'm able to keep you, preserve you, from sin in this new nature I've given you. And he said, I'm going to tell you one other thing. I'm going to present you as faultless before my Father. Faultless. It means perfect, impeccable, without blame. It literally means spotless. Now stop for just a moment. Meditate on that. I'm telling you, this comes out of the Word of God. This is exactly how the Father sees you. It's amazing, isn't it? This is how he sees me perfect. No matter what I said yesterday, no matter what I did on the way to church, this is the way he sees me. You say, are you sure that's in the word? Oh, friends, go look it up. I'm telling you. And don't just look at the English word. Look behind it because you're going to see an explosion. I mean, it's going to embellish everything that you can see in the English and tell you this is how he sees you. 
every moment of every day. That's how the Father sees us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts. What did that light do when He shined it in your heart? I'll tell you what it did. It drew out the darkness. It drew out the spots. It drew out the flaws. It drew the fault out of you. It drew the wrinkles out of you. It drew the biting dogs out of you. It drew the wretchedness out of you. It drew the sinful nature. That's the one I love. It drew, it was like a magnet. When he shined his light in my heart, it just drew that sinful nature right out of me. And I'll tell you what, his light never goes out, so I'll never have to worry about it returning. See, that's the thing about darkness. See, this room is light right now, but I guarantee you go over there and hit the switch one time. I don't care how long light has occupied this room, it'll be dark just like that. But his light never goes out. And so he always sees you flawless, faultless, without sin, immune to it. Oh, friends, I don't care what teachings we've had all of our life. There's one scripture that we need to soak and saturate in our hearts. Why does he do this? To give us the light of the knowledge or the light of the discovery of the glory of God in the face of Christ, or another way to say it, in the presence of Christ. My face is inseparable from my presence. When I walked in that door over there this morning, my face walked into this door. It's probably the first thing that walked in. But I'll tell you what, the second my face walked in that door, my presence walked in that door. They are one and the same. When my presence came in, my face came in. You see how that works? So, wherever my face goes, my presence will go with it. Let me ask you a question. How deep do you think we have to run through the Bible before we'll encounter this word, face. It might surprise you. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Together we have 66 books. Do you think the word face comes up? Oh, it does. The name of the message is in the face of Christ. Is it in the Old Testament? How deep will we have to go? Let's find out. Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Look at verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now God is still talking, okay? We broke it into chapters and verses, but this was all one big declaration by God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face. We didn't get very far, did we? <laughs> we didn't get very far at all. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God saw that. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. These are the very scriptures that the Apostle Paul was referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, when he said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. What the Apostle Paul was doing is he was taking us all the way back to Genesis, saying, let me start at the beginning here. You want to understand darkness? You want to understand this glory of light that lives on the inside of you? Let me take you back to a time when there was nothing but void and darkness upon the face and the surface of the deep. Let me take you back there. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We're talking about the glory of God. The glory of God is the light of God. It's the face of God. So, what is the glory of God? We always say glory, 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 glory. What is the glory of God? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. The sun. Not S-U-N. I want my internet audience to make sure I'm not talking about the sun hanging in the sky. I'm talking about the sun that's hanging in your heart. The sun is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself. See, I don't know. When I read the Word of God, I, I just look at individual words and I meditate on them for a while. And, and all of a sudden, that just began to just to jump out. When He had by Himself? You mean you and I didn't help Him? What does it say? 
It says he did it by himself, doesn't it? If we didn't help him, does it? Our flashlight was pitiful in comparison to the brightness of his glory. You say, your pastor didn't help him? No, no, no. Your ancestors didn't help him? No. Moses didn't help him. The Ten Commandments didn't help him. The Bible says, when he had by himself purged our sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, look at those words. I put them in bold. By himself, he did it all. That means I don't have to contribute toward it, and I don't have to contribute to keep it. It is by his glory that he purged all my sins, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father, the majesty on high. Friends, the Son is the brightness of the Father's glory. On the first day of creation, God said, let there be light. It's very important to note and to understand that this light is not emanating from the sun, it's not coming from the moon, and it's not coming from the stars. The sun, the moon, and the stars were made on day four. Just read your Bible, you'll see on the fourth day he hung the moon, the stars, the sun, in the sky. But on day one he said, let there be light. These are not the northern lights, and it's not lightning here. So how can we have light without the sun? How can we have light without the moon? How do we have light without the stars? Friends, this light is none other than the face or the presence of Jesus. In fact, Jesus called himself the light of the world. Did he not say that? He said, I'm the light of the world. He said it once when he was standing in front of an adulterous woman in John chapter 8. And then we turn the page on John chapter 9, and he's standing in front of a man that was born blind, had never seen the light of day. And he said it again. He said, I am the light of the world. What did the adulterous woman and the blind man have in common? They were both in darkness. One spiritually speaking, one naturally speaking, but they were both in darkness. And Jesus, he took his light and he shined it in each one of their hearts and it dispelled the darkness as light ushered in and changed their lives forever. When we look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 or 4, and then we jump all the way over into the New Testament, the Gospel of John, and we see how John opens up his Gospel. He takes us back just like the Apostle Paul did, all the way back to the beginning of time, and he says, in the beginning was the Word. Notice that the Word is capitalized. You see, it's not just a word, it's the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The word the is a definite article. It means the one and only. There was one word. It's capitalized, meaning drawing its attention to there's something very important about this word. You and I say words sometimes that are not that important, it seems like, but this is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now look at that. It says, all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And then I love this, in Him, in Him was life. And that life was the light of men, and it still is, friends. It is still the light of men. And what did that light do? The Bible says, and that light shined in the darkness, just like Genesis chapter 1, where God said, let there be light, and Jesus' glory manifested. That light shined in the darkness, the Bible says, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness was like, what? What is going on here? What's going on? We had this space at one time. Now the presence of Jesus has taken it over. The darkness comprehended it not. We go back to Genesis chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3, but we're going to add verse 4 this time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light light. Now watch verse 4. It says this, and God saw the light that it was good. God didn't make the light there. He didn't say, I'm going to create light. He said, let there be light. And his son said, yes, daddy, here I am. And it says, oh, he showed up. And now you've got the Trinity right there in all of creation, the Father, the Son, the light. And you've got the Spirit of God that's moving upon the waters. You've got the whole Godhead present for creation. And God saw the light that it was good. And I like this. 
and God divided the light from the darkness. Or another way to say this is God separated the light from the darkness. When you divide something, all you do is separate something. God did everything right. He separated the darkness from the light. And He did it with accuracy. He did it right. When did God divide the light from the darkness? It says right there, when the Spirit moved upon the face of the deep, or when the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters, He separated it from light. I believe that this is a type and shadow of what happens at salvation for the believer. I believe that if we look back at this vignette and it talks about him separating light from darkness, it is a picture of what happens at salvation for the believer. The Spirit moves upon the depths of the unbeliever's darkened heart, and in the twinkling of an eye, he divides the darkness from the light, the true light that was coming into the world. If we understand that the face of God is the presence of God, then I want to ask you a question. How do we reconcile certain scriptures? All right, We understand that the face of God is the presence of God. Then how do we reconcile in our hearts this scripture, Isaiah 59 and verse 2? But your iniquities, that is the worst sins you could ever imagine, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. How do you take the presence of God, the covenant that we have with God, and then take that scripture right there and somehow bring harmony and understanding with that? Oh, friends, it's so easy. I'll tell you how you reconcile that scripture in your heart. It's old covenant. And it's not our covenant. This is how it was under the old covenant, but it is not our covenant. We have a better covenant that's built on better promises, the Bible says. It is the new covenant. And you know what? You need no further explanation. You don't have to sit there and scratch your head. Oh, man, I've done something wrong. He's going to hide his face from me. I can't tell you how many times I believed that in my early Christian walk. Somehow he was going to withhold his presence. He was going to withhold all that warm, fuzzy, glowing feeling that I used to always search for every time I went to an altar, that he was going to withhold that if somehow I had iniquity in my heart, if somehow I had transgression in my heart, if somewhere sin lurked in the depths of my soul. Remember, he's taken us and he's put us in an environment where he has sealed us, isolated us, preserves us so that there is no darkness in us. We are children of light, the Bible says. In the absence of understanding the separation of the Old and New Covenant, that scripture right there will do a lot of damage to a believer. Now, it wasn't designed to do that to a believer. That scripture is not meant for you. That's meant for the unbeliever right there. But in the absence of understanding our covenant, how great and how awesome our covenant is, if you meditate on that scripture, you're going to take ownership of that scripture, and it's going to do damage to your emotions. It's going to do damage to the way you feel about yourself. It's going to do damage to your relationship. Jesus isn't going to think any different of you, but you're going to think different of him. And so then David comes along in Psalm 103. And David is under the old covenant too, right? I mean, David's under the old covenant. But it's almost like he is prophesying that there's coming a better covenant, a new covenant. I don't know if David understood what he was even saying. He just wrote as the Spirit told him what to write, but he's thinking, wow, I don't know if I get this or not. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. He said, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Now, David knew that about God. Slow to anger, yes, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Oh, man, then watch what he says. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. If Isaiah and David would have been standing toe-to-toe, there would have been a fistfight going on. I'll tell you what, that still happens today. You get two believers together that believe different. Man, I'm telling you, you've got to be totally silent about things. Or Man, it's almost like you've got to roll your sleeves up, man, because when you start hitting on high-topic things like that, if you just stay uh, on the low-profile things, you, you probably won't have any issue. God's good. Yeah, God's good, brother. But man, you start talking about this grace and how he sealed us in an environment where we are immune from sin. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have a fist fight on your hand. And if Isaiah would have been standing in front of David, man, he'd have been like my daddy, man. My daddy was like a mountain, man. Just one lick, everybody went down. Bang. That's the way it would be. 
And David is coming off with this stuff. He says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's not what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, he's not even going to talk to you. He's not even going to listen to you. You're not going to hear him. He's not going to hear you. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Or another way to say that is so great is his love for those who revere him, worship him, reverence him. Oh, friends, I love these scriptures. As far as the east is from the west. How far is that exactly? I want to tell you something. You can get on Google Street Maps and you won't come up with an answer for that one. You might get it from coast to coast in the United States, but we're talking about getting higher. We're talking about in the heavens here. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Why did God separate our transgressions from us? So he would no longer have to hide his face from us. He now hides his face from our sins. That's what he does. He doesn't hide his face from you. He hides his face from our sins. The Bible says he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up again. Our sins and lawless deeds, it says he will remember no more because he has separated that from us. There's nothing to judge us about. When we get this truth set up in our heart and it begins to rain, I don't need to be judging myself. I don't need to be critical about myself. I don't need to be looking for flaws because my daddy's not looking for flaws. My daddy already told me I'm faultless. Why would I want to go looking for flaws? How many people were probably on their way to church and the wife looked at the husband? She said, does everything look right? Is my hair right? Is my makeup right? Daddy's already looked at you and said, yes, you're perfect. <laughs> you look awesome. Ain't nothing wrong with you. I find no flaw in you. I find no fault with you. I'm in the Word. This comes out of the Word. So when that truth begins to reign in our heart, it's so easy to step over into Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, and we can see just how much He loves us and how this love continues to protect us. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Not only who, but what? It literally means darkness can't be against us. If God is for us, what can be against us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Not stingily, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is God who's already pronounced and declared you are faultless. He's already made the justification. He's already had the courtroom. Jesus has already taken our punishment. And he says, I've justified you already. Who then is the one who condemns? I'll tell you who it is. It's not just the devil. It's us sometimes. We can be our own worst critic at times. We can beat ourselves up for missing it over and over and over again. Who is it? Who is the one who condemns? And what God is saying here, he's saying in my ears, I listen to no one. Do you see those words? No one. I have separated my ears from that voice of condemnation, that voice of accusation. My ears and my face have been separated from that. I do not listen to that condemning voice. He says no one. And then it says Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. <laughs> he wants us to have good days. He wants us to live life and see good days. Every moment of every day, live life, he says. Live this life. Live with the light. Live this life. See good days. He's interceding for us. Now let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus is praying perfect prayers? If he's interceding, that means he's praying for me, right? He knows exactly what to say. He's interceding for us that we would live life and see good days and come to this revelation that we've been placed in the light of his glory, a place where there is no darkness, just pure light, pure acceptance. Then he says these words, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then here's this list. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Those are some nasty weapons. Those are some ugly weapons. But this writer 
I'm reminded. He said, there's times where he says, where I'm hard-pressed. I'm hard-pressed on every side. Everywhere I turn, he said, something's pressing against me. He said, I'm occasionally perplexed. But he said, I'm not in despair. He said, I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. He said, I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Why? (laughs) Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He says, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us or through him who shined his light in our hearts. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, Oh, thank you, Daddy, that you, by the Holy Spirit, had him write this last tagline, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Had he not said that, I would have said, man, but you didn't say this. He said nothing else in all of creation can separate you from my love. Amen. God separates light from darkness. God separates day from night, but he never separates his love from his children. Never. You won't find that under the new covenant. Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day again. He has not hung the moon, the sun, and the stars in the sky yet. This is simply Christ. And what did the presence of light or the face of Christ or the presence of Christ do? What did it do? It separated light from darkness. That's what it does. It's exactly what he did for us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says this, For you were once darkness. Anybody in here think they weren't dark at one time? That wasn't just written for me, I'll guarantee it. For you were once darkness, but now, (laughs) but now, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. This is not a commandment that says, you better live as a child of light. You better represent me well. What he's saying is because I poured my light into you, this should be the natural or the supernatural response coming out of you. What went into you should be what comes out of you. He says, live as children of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Look at that. This is what light does. It says it only produces that which is good and right and true. Light does not produce darkness. Light does not produce death. Light does not produce destruction. Light does not produce bad. Light does not produce wrong. And it does not produce false. Light produces good and right and true. And every one of these virtues can be said about our Jesus because he is good, he is right, and he is true. We see this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. This is where we take ownership of what was just said. Herein is our love made perfect. It's taking all those scriptures from Romans chapter 8. And it's saying, you know, I just got through telling you nothing's going to separate you from my love. And he says, herein is this love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. That's an amazing scripture right there. As he is, so am I in this world. I didn't always believe that. I just would skim over scriptures like that going, I don't know what they're talking about. What what, what are you talking about? As he is, faultless, glorious, full of light, full of Jesus. When daddy looks at us, he doesn't see us as bad, wrong, and false. He sees us exactly the way he sees Jesus, good and right and true. This is probably one of the most difficult truths, I guess I would say, for Christians to believe because we are so trained. We are so trained to keep looking at our past, our performance, and our pain instead of looking at 
the presence of His glory. Do you know if you were able to get into a spaceship and let's say they made that spaceship out of a material that wouldn't burn up going to the sun. <laughs> oh man, it's very high temperature stuff. Imagine getting in there and traveling and all of a sudden you reach the sun and you turn that spaceship around and you look towards the earth. What do you think you'd see? You think, man, with all that bright light behind me, it would have the whole Milky Way lit up. It would have the whole heavens lit up. This is something that's going to be hard for you to wrap your head around, but you would see absolute darkness in front of you. If you could see 93 million miles away and see the earth, it's much smaller than the sun, believe me. If you could see the earth, it would look like a star. You see, because here's the amazing thing. The beam of light, you can't see it. I proved this point the other night because I was just fascinated when I was thinking about this. I said, God, why is this in my heart? I took my mag light and I went outside of my porch one night when it was really dark. And there's a woods behind my house, quite a ways away. And I turned that mag light on and it was shining a big bright spot in the woods. Yet there was nothing between the light and the woods. I thought, well, that's fascinating. And I took that flashlight and I held it just far enough where I couldn't see the light coming out of it. And I clicked it on and on and on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off, till I lost count if it was on or off. And then I tried to guess, is it on or off? I looked out in front of it, I said, it must be off. I turned it around, it was bright light right in my face. What am I getting at? The beam cannot be seen unless it reflects off of an object, okay? It does not illuminate the path. It illuminates the object. The believer's path of life, that's the path of life, is laced with painful memories and wounds and less than perfect choices that daddy wants to heal. Condemnation and fear raise their ugly heads along with the wagging finger of shame to accuse us. We should rise up with the declaration that is found in Jude chapter 1, verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I have exchanged my darkness for his light. I don't have to lose heart because my Father never, ever, ever hides His face from me. My eyes are fixed upon the light of the discovery of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So friends, when my path doesn't seem like it has enough light on it, when my circumstances in life seem dark, i got to remember it was into my heart, the Bible says, that He shined the light. It was in my heart, and my heart changed. He gave me a new heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, and then verses 5 through 7. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now let me stop here for a second. Sometimes when we think of ministry, we always think about preaching and teaching and music ministry. This is not the ministry he's talking about. If you read all this in context, he's talking about the glory of the new covenant. Chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians is about the glory of the new covenant. And that's the ministry he's talking about. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Or because we have this ministry of the new covenant, we don't lose heart. For what we preached is not ourselves, but Jesus. Let me stop. I can't resist this point right here. I've told people before, this is the heartbeat of Triumphant Grace Ministries, that we don't preach us, we preach Jesus. Does it say it right there? For what we preach is not ourselves. We don't come here to give you a bunch of good advice and send you home ten ways to make your week better. We give you one way to make your life better, and that is Christ. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who set light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then the next verse. But we have this treasure 
in earthen vessels to show that his all-surpassing power, and that is his light, that's his love, that's his glory. What kind of power? He's not talking about biceps, he's talking about love. He's talking about his ability to keep you. He's talking about his light. He's talking about the hope, the confident expectation, something good is going to happen to me. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Don't you ever think your powers comes from you. Your power, your ability to love, your ability to be light comes from our Father in whom there is no shadow of turning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart or we don't faint or we don't give up. We don't lose heart. We don't surrender. We don't abandon our post. We don't lose heart. What is the ministry the Apostle Paul is speaking of? I just said it's the new covenant. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11. Now if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stones came with glory so there was a brilliance to it. It was all they had at the time so it, it had a glory to it so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. In other words, it was just kind of passing through. It was just passing through. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings that righteousness that we sang about earlier today? How much more glorious is that ministry? When you see something more glorious, I want you to know something. You'll drop your teddy bear of religion and you'll run to that glory. You'll run to that Jesus. You'll run to that light. You just give a dog some dog food one time, some dry dog food, and you throw a T-bone steak next to him over here, I'll tell you what, he'll leave that glory, and he'll come over to this one right here. How much more glorious is Christ than the old Ten Commandments? So we have a better covenant. For what was glorious, look at those words, has no glory now. What was the glorious? It was the Ten Commandments at one time. It was the law at one time. He says, for what was glorious has no, how much glory? None has no glory now in comparison with this surpassing glory, this all-encompassing light, this surpassing love that God is pouring into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which, oh, oh man, I wish I had a marker. I would just circle that. It'd be worth painting that wall. I would circle that word, that glory lasts. Why? Because he has sealed us in an environment where nothing can get to us and wreck it. I want to tell you something. You're not strong enough to keep yourself. You're not wise enough to keep yourself. You're not smart enough to keep yourself. You're too fragile, and so am I. If it was up to me to keep me, friends, I want to tell you something. You guys would all be home watching reruns of something this morning because I wouldn't be here, and neither would you. But it is not me who keeps me. It is Him who keeps me. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Some of them my closing scriptures. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. Listen, I don't need God to speak to my ancestors anymore. I have the Holy Spirit. He speaks to me. I'm not above listening to wisdom of someone, but I want to tell you something. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors, and what he spoke to them was for them at that time, but they were under another covenant, an old covenant, and that covenant is not my covenant, so therefore I'm not going to listen to my ancestors when they get on that stuff. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Why did he appoint him heir of all things? Because he made all things. Listen, if you make something, you own it, don't you? He made it. And through whom also he made <laughs> the entire universe. The son... S-O-N, the Son, 
capital S-O-N. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so He became as much superior to the angels as the name as He has inherited is superior to theirs. As it turns out, God does something for us that natural light cannot do. God takes the light of the discovery of the glory of God and He lights our paths with His Word. David said that in Psalm chapter 119 in verse 105. He said, Thy Word, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet. And he said, it's a light under my path. I can see the rays of your light that I can walk and not stumble. How? By word, the word. And so as we grab a hold of his word that he's put in our hearts and we come into agreement, and we say, yes, daddy, I agree with that word. The Bible says it will light your paths and it will be a light under your feet. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the scriptures are these. You and I are that earthen vessel and our Father has stuffed us full of treasures. Everything He does, He oversupplies. He has stuffed us full of treasures. These treasures come in the form of light and life, purification of sins and promises. Our Father has placed us in the presence of His glory, a place where He has separated light from darkness, day from night, and He has separated sin from the believer. He has placed us in an environment whereby He is able to isolate and preserve us from our former sinful nature so that He can present you and me as faultless before the presence of the glory of God with exceeding joy. Friends, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the discovery of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow, Daddy, what a word. Thank you for stuffing our hearts. Thank you for ministering to me this morning, Daddy. We have treasures, the Bible says, in earthen vessels, and we are that earthen vessel. One version calls us a clay pot, or you call us whatever you want. But I want you to know something, whatever it may be, a clay pot is a fragile pot. But when it's filled full of life, and it's filled full of God's love, and it's filled full of God's joy, I want you to know something, it's an environment for health. It's an environment for wealth. It's an environment whereby Daddy dispels all darkness and says, I only allow light in here. Daddy, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Thank you, Daddy, that Jesus is the face, the face of your glory, the face of your light, and the face of your love. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And I just say, my declaration today is, I am, these folks are, those that were made by Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.